This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. More than 11.5 million encrypted documents belonging to Panamanian law firm Mossack Fonseca showed that some of the most powerful people in the world have been involved in a wide range of financial schemes. Many of them involved have been part of tax evasion, including the Prime Minister of Iceland and the father of British Prime Minister David Cameron. There were also accusations of money laundering, and the moving of funds from arms and drugs deals. This is a story that is just at the outset of what may break. But to look at the repercussions, we are joined here in the studio by Wharton's Philip Nichols, Associate Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics. And joining us on the phone is Liz Confalone, who is Policy Counsel at the Global Financial Integrity. Liz, great to have you on the phone. Thanks for calling in. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Felt great to see you again. Thanks for coming in. Always good to be here. Thank you. Liz, I'll start with you. Seemingly, the wide range of people we are talking about here and the wide range of events, should we be surprised or not? Uh, well, I would say no. Uh, anonymous companies have been a known problem for many years now. Uh, the leak investigation is certainly unprecedented in size and scope. It's, you know, like you said, it's 11.5 million documents covering. 40 years of history of this particular firm. Um, But really, the interesting thing is that it exposes just one firm, admittedly a large firm, um, in a larger industry. Um, The trouble is that it's legal to set these anonymous companies up in most jurisdictions around the world. So while we've known that this has been a problem, um, we're getting a few more details that you wouldn't ordinarily see but for a leak. And you're talking about the law firm Mossack Fonseca, which uh, obviously has, uh, from a lot of the stories, has a global reach. Mm-hmm. And we're really seeing that now with the, with the, all the locations of people that are involved in this particular case. Absolutely. The, the documents reportedly involve over 200 countries, 200,000 companies. Um, so I think you're certainly right to say that we're only seeing the beginning of this. Um, uh, we haven't seen any coverage of uh, U.S. persons involved in this yet, and uh, we'll certainly be watching for that in the, in the coming days and weeks. Philip? Well, we are seeing uh, a, a few just marvelous stories involving U.S. people. Um, the business guru, for example, who hired uh, apparently hired uh, Mossack Fonseca to create a fictitious human being to represent her at a bank at which she withdrew from which she withdrew um, funds that were hidden. So it's not that the U.S. is completely out of this picture. The stories are awesome. They're so interesting. The apparently, Liz, the, the, the Department of Justice is now starting to you know dip its toe into the water here and 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 look. Uh, and it's interesting because we're starting to see. U.S. government entities, especially the DOJ, get more and more involved in global events. Obviously, the DOJ involved in the FIFA investigation. Now we have this as well. Is is the U.S. government even stretching its its tentacles even farther now? Well, I think the the important thing to note with these these anonymous companies is once once you set them up, 
you have a license to basically open up bank accounts in any country, and then you're you're tapped into the global financial infrastructure, and you can engage in all sorts of transactions, um, which will frequently touch touch the U.S. or involve a U.S. citizen. So, um, the U.S. authorities are certainly interested in uh, the misuse of these these companies uh, in ways that affect the U.S. So we will. I'm I'm hoping that we'll see more on this in the in the future. And and I agree with Liz. And they should be. Um uh, interested in this, uh, the integrity of the U.S. system um, is important, and it's been called into question. And uh, w- with reference to the the paucity, not complete lack of U.S. involvement in with Mossack Fonseca, it's important to remember that we have states like Delaware or uh, Wyoming or Nevada in which uh, these things occur, and maybe maybe. While DOJ is looking abroad, um, this will kind of push uh, investigations and uh, scrutiny of the same kinds of things that occur within our shores. I couldn't agree more, Philip. That's absolutely right. What what kind of changes then, Philip? What kind of changes do we need to have to the structure to really deal with all of these offshore companies and, and, and you know, these ones that are basically hiding out at this point? Well, there, there's... Two, there's in the metal level, one of the issues is the disparate tax regimes. Yep. Um, the fact that the U.S. has such a comparably high relative tax to some other places, you know, pushes people to uh, go offshore. Um, the the uh, European Union has the uh, tax disclosure regime, which again pushes people offshore. And I'm not condoning their leaving, their, their, what they're doing. But this disparate tax regime is a meta issue that certainly plays into the bad conduct that we're seeing right now. The other issue, of course, is transparency, yeah. which I believe Liz's organization is long pushed for. And that's that's absolutely required. Liz? I would actually, just on top of that, I would say that a lot of the, the efforts to um, stymie tax evasion are really going to depend on getting beneficial ownership information mm-hmm. um, from these companies and from the, the banks that are opening up bank accounts for the companies. Because if you're trying to um, exchange uh, information on bank accounts that's going to be relevant to tax authorities, you have to know who's, who's behind the bank account and who's behind the company. So um, if you want to advance any of these, these initiatives, you really have to focus on beneficial ownership. And that's the, when we've referred to that term, we're talking about the, the real living people who are um, the owners or controllers of these companies. And um, there needs to be some significant work in that area. And, and your group, uh, Global Financial Integrity, ha- has uh, put out a, a statistic that I guess we're talking uh, in the trillions of dollars Mm-hmm. Uh, right. which is, which is uh, you know, the money that's involved in all of these moves, correct? Uh, absolutely. So uh, last year, the figure, or the last report that we published, the figure was $1.1 trillion um, leaving uh, developing countries illicitly. And uh, the vast majority of that, 80% or so, is um, from a practice called trade misinvoicing, mm-hmm. where you alter trade invoices on either side of the transaction to, um, to move money into or out of a country um, without being seen. Um, and one of the, the key um, mechanisms that allows you to do that are these anonymous companies. And so that's, that's been the reason that we've been so focused on this problem for so many years now. Where do you think that then the the problem needs to be most addressed? Uh, is it with some of the smaller companies, uh, countries like Panama, uh, that that you know? I, I mean, 
you know, are we talking about the, that, uh, you know, another organization needs to step in? Does the U.N. need to step in and, and do something at this point, Liz? Well, certainly I think the, the larger countries need to um, set a good example. And there's been um, international commitments made on the G8, in the G8 and in the G20 in the past um, several years to improve beneficial ownership transparency. Um, you'll see in, in the European Union, the, the fourth anti-money laundering directive is going to have member states um, collecting and preparing central registries of beneficial ownership information for companies formed in their borders. Um, in the U.S., we've been falling behind on this. Uh, there's uh, legislation in Congress right now that would address the problem. It's called the Incorporation Transparency and Law Enforcement Assistance Act. And it would require the um, collection of beneficial ownership information at the time a company is formed. Um, and that's really what needs to happen. Um, well, one of the things that needs to happen in order to, uh, to address the problem of anonymous companies. But as you see, the larger, company, the larger countries um, taking a leadership role here, um, it will certainly make it easier um, for the smaller countries to follow. The <clears throat> one, um, one, first of all, uh, I, I weep for Panama. Um, this firm happened to be located in Panama, but Panama has made great strides in uh, improving its uh, banking climate. And people like uh, Enrique Del Barrio, for example, are pillars of honesty. Uh, I found it interesting that so many of the firms that were created were actually in British dependencies. Mm -hmm. And the um, uh, United Kingdom, perhaps needs to take greater ownership of the banking regulations and their dependencies rather than painting countries like Panama or uh, Qatar or Luxembourg. Or they, they, there's some serious action that could be taken with the stroke of a few pens by countries like the UK, like the United States, with, with states like Wyoming and Delaware. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure this is uh, – I, I agree that, that the large countries could be an example – but there's actually serious action they need to take. Oh, yes. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, the U.S., for instance, is perhaps the largest incorporator of companies in the world. Um, so actions take by, taken by the larger countries are certainly going to have an outsized um, impact on uh, the integrity of the financial system. So, yes, the, the major portion of the responsibility is with larger countries to really take action here. I, I guess for some respects, Liz, uh, for people that are that are just really digging into this story for the first time now in the last 24 hours or so, uh, as what you have, uh, and Phil have just talked about, in some respects, the U.S. needing to get its own house in order is probably something that a lot of people you know, can't relate to. So delve into that a little bit more as to how this is all kind of played out. The, some of potentially the mistakes that have been made here in the U.S. over the last 50, 60 years, which possibly could have alleviated some of this problem. Sure. Um, like I said, the, the U.S. has really fallen behind here. Um, you've seen progress in other countries, um, especially in Europe uh, as a region, um, but the U.S. really hasn't pushed the issue forward. Um, we incorporate more companies than any country in the world, um, and yet we do not collect beneficial ownership information. No state in the U.S. Um, collects this information when companies are formed, um, and it's having an impact worldwide when you um, when you form a comp company in the U.S., as one of my colleagues uh, would say, you have a patina of legitimacy, right? You right. have a, 
Um, it seems legitimate because it doesn't have the, the stigma of other, of other jurisdictions. Um, and uh, a recent review by the IMF even showed that the U.S. had not really made significant progress on um, dealing with beneficial ownership transparency since the last review in 2006. Um, so really a lot has to be done um, in order to um, secure uh, how companies are formed here in the U.S. And, and the funny thing is that it's actually a very simple solution. Uh, you need to collect the beneficial ownership information at the time a company is formed. And what's involved there is adding a couple of lines onto a incorporation form, getting a name, an address, and a copy of an ID. Um, so it's not... Um, mysterious how this can be addressed. It's just uh, there seems to be a, a lack of um, political will to make it happen. The <clears throat> One of the reasons I brought up the um, um, business guru whose name, I, I'm sorry, I just can't remember right now. There's been so many names involved in this, uh, was that a firm like Mosek Fonseca was willing to create a fictitious human – well, it wasn't fictitious. They hired a 90-year-old British man to pose as the <laughs> beneficial owner. Um so I'm 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 not quite as sanguine as as it, uh, with with all due respect. I think it needs to be more than just a few lines added to the incorporation documents. And I I, I talk to people, all over the because of my job here at Wharton. I talk to people all over the world who engage in misconduct. They love Delaware. Um, it is a destination of choice for the reasons Liz said. Uh, it gives you the patina of of legitimacy. It also gives you easy access to easier, I should say, access to U.S. financial institutions, which again is a very good reason that the Department of Justice should be interested in the weakening and the integrity of the U.S. financial system because of this kind of conduct. You're listening to Knowledge of Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Dan Loney here in Philadelphia, joined by Wharton's Philip Nichols and Liz Confalone, who is with the uh, Global Financial Integrity. Uh, we're talking about the Panama Papers case, which is uh, starting to unravel, uh, pun intended, in this uh, situation right now uh, because of the fact that more than 11.5 million encrypted documents made their way from this firm into the hands of journalists. And I guess, uh, Liz, that's the uh, other interesting piece that we, we should talk about is the fact that these documents, as you said, going back some 40 years, all of a sudden just show up, uh, I guess is the best way to, to handle it, in the, in the hands of a couple of different, uh, of couple of different journalistic hands and now have made their way all across the globe. Um, absolutely. The the documents were first leaked to a, a German news outlet, who I then believe um, coordinated with ICIJ to bring in um, journalists around the world. I think that there's over 300 journalists operating in multiple countries. They they engaged in a year long investigation into the documents, um, and it's really it's unprecedented in scope. It's it's an amazing amount of material. It's an amazing insight into a a, a very shadowy um, world that you don't generally get this sort of information from. So there's, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, and, but, for the, but for the leak, we wouldn't be able to um, really scrutinize how this industry works. What ends up becoming the, the possible uh, results of some of the big names that are involved in this case? Uh, obviously, Vladimir Putin is one that has started to to float out, although he's not apparently directly linked to it. But there are a, a, quite a few large names, Philip, at this point that, that are out there that seemingly are going to be 
in the line of fire of the DOJ and other uh, other government agencies. It's interesting, <clears throat> as you, um, I, I, you know, I'm sure this is true of hundreds of people. But I, you know, my phone. I've been talking to people all night long about this, <laughs> and uh, you know, here in the United States, we tend to focus on a few people who are named. But in Pakistan, for example, they're focusing on uh, the Sharif family. Yeah. Um, in uh, Chile, the 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 chair of Transparency International Chile resigned. So every region seems to have its own kind of focus. This is the leader who is. Uh, um, you know, really in the spotlight, we tend to focus on President Putin and other places focus on other people. I, you know, depends on the place. Um, Iceland, it's a pretty good bet that uh, you have a new prime minister. Yeah, that's right. Which is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, you know, there's going to be a lot of heads rolling, but it depends on the place. Um, who's, You're going to who, see a lot of cascading effects. Because yeah. Yeah. Um, these actions involve multiple jurisdictions, and so multiple jurisdictions are going to have um, an interest in seeing uh, what was done and investigating possible misconduct and uh, addressing whatever misconduct is found with, with various sanctions. Um, so as more details come out and as more um, investigators uh, take on cases, um, we'll really get to see more of the impact of how this this is going to change uh, the landscape globally. And, and I and, think that and an, an important thing that we're learning from this as we're seeing how global the reach is, is that the problem of anonymous companies isn't just a problem for one country. It isn't just a problem of Panama. It isn't just a problem of um, tax havens. Uh, it's a problem for all of the countries producing these companies. It's a problem for all of the countries that are being um, made victims through the use of these companies, your citizens are being scammed through Ponzi schemes that are um, using anonymous companies to cover their tracks. There are drug traffickers that use them to launder money. Um, people use them to get around sanctions. Um, there's any number of applications for these companies, and that means that the, the effects are going to be felt globally. And one of the things that – a very positive thing that might come from this is it might spur some of the f countries that have been – a little le less ambitious, a little less aggressive in um, pursuing and prosecuting these kinds of cases mm -hmm. to do so. Uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, a number of countries, <laughs> given the easier access to information they probably wouldn't have had otherwise, really ramping up their prosecution, their investigation prosecution, gaining experience, and then pursuing other cases independently. So I, I think that's a ripple effect that might be uh, very positive in the future. Uh, I, and, yeah. I get, and I guess, Liz, as, as you alluded to, this is, this is just so much right now in the beginning stages mm -hmm. that the changes we're realistically, you know, potentially going to see will, will probably happen over the next year, two, three, five years at, at this point, correct? Sure. I mean, um, complex cases involving transnational uh, transactions, um, these cases can take years to investigate and prosecute. Um, so, yes, you will be seeing stuff happening over the next months and years. Um, I think one of the, the great benefits of this is that it really brings it into the public realm, um, making it possible for citizens to, to see the effects of these companies, to see the policies that are um, enforce in their countries that enable these types of activities to happen and to really engage with their governments to say, yeah. you know, this is no longer acceptable and we need to take action to fix it. 
uh, just using a little bit of sarcasm right now, I, I am happy to see, though, that Panama has decided to open an investigation into this because I'm, I'm sure that, you know, the, the Panamanian government probably had no knowledge of this going on whatsoever. Right, Phil? I OK, I <laughs> love Panama. I really do. And um, I, I think it's important to remember that this started in a in a this firm gained its expertise, it gained its international clientele. At a time when Panama's, Panama was a, a pretty defunct place. Yeah. But Panama's changed a lot since then. And that's one of the reasons I really, really do uh, weep for Panama, because this is called the Panama Papers rather than the Mossack Fonseca Papers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Panama is an example of places that have changed positive. It's not perfect yet, and there's a lot of misconduct that occurs in Panama, as in Wyoming and Delaware. No. But um, Panama should be held up as an example of of a country that we want other countries to emulate. Um, the UK, in allowing all these dependencies to, to basically engage in virtually unregulated behavior, that's a country we should be talking about right now, not not necessarily Panama. I think Panama's investigation in this is probably sincere. Okay. Liz? Yeah, I mean, I, w I would agree. There's um, there's a lot of blame to go around, and this isn't just a problem with Panama. I think uh, Panama recently came off FATF's gray list um, in yeah. February of 2016. So That's they've, right. They've been making some strides. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the the uh, changes that they've made in their regulations and laws are actually going to be followed by enforcement, which is really what you're looking at when you um, are trying to see if a country is, is meeting its, its obligations in terms of anti-money laundering. Um, so what we see in terms of enforcement in Panama is going to be telling in terms of uh, how committed they are to actually um, shoring up their, their system. And, and really, there's a lot of reform that needs to happen worldwide, and there's a lot of action that many, many countries could take. Um, so Panama is not alone. What do you think, though? Who, who do you think will end up being the lead in terms of uh, uh, of the prosecution of this a, as it plays out, Liz? And then who do you think will be the lead in terms of, of making some of these changes? Will it have to be the United States at this point? That's a that's a big question, and I don't know if I can answer it at this point. Um, like I said, we haven't seen all of the coverage yet. Like um, Philip mentioned, a couple of stories about about U.S. actors, but um, there's certainly more in there, and um, it's a matter of time. Um, before we see uh, some more reporting on that. Um, so we're waiting to see it. Um, in terms of uh, just one one topic that could be um, of interest in these in these documents is corruption. and and the us. has really um, in the past fifteen, twenty years has taken the lead in in prosecuting um, some of the inter international corruption that might um, show up in these documents. So it's possible that the us. would um, be interested in looking at that. That's just speculation. It depends on what's in the materials, and they'll have to look at it. But ultimately, it's going to have to be um, investigations by the countries whose citizens are um, implicated in potential wrongdoing here. Um, so uh, larger countries have, have greater prosecutorial resources. Yep. Um, so you'll, you may see, see more action there. But it really it just depends on um, where the people are and what kind of wrongdoing was happening. So it's it's... In my opinion, it's a little bit too early to tell. Um, but the U.S. could do its part by, um, by making the changes to our own incorporation processes um, that would um, 
provide fewer opportunities for people to obtain the companies that they use to engage in this wrongdoing. That's, yeah, the, the, the fact that this information is being handed on a platter, my, my understanding is all of these documents will be made public a month from now in an yeah. accessible uh, form, the, I mean, in a searchable form. The fact that this information is being handed down on a platter, I'm hoping means that a number of countries that have not been really aggressive in prosecuting, and uh, especially corruption, are going to 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 start doing so. Right. Um, I, it, it, this could be. It's interesting. There was an investigation just last week, I think, about a firm in Monaco named Unit Oil. Um, that that also handed information to prosecutors in an easy and accessible way. Now that's been eclipsed by Mossack Fonseca, but journalists are are making it easy for prosecution and governments start to need need to start following the lead of the journalists. And I, I think they might. I think it's a really interesting time. Great to have you both on the show. Thank you, Liz. Felt great to see you again. Always good to see you. Thank you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.